just when you think that social media cannot get any lower. All you have to do sometimes is wake up in the morning, check your notifications, and find out that there are people that are bullying and gaslighting those that have been injured by the vaccine, those that have true health crises and problems since putting the jab in their arms. What type of low have people gone to at this point in time? So much so that PolitiFact, that's right, the same PolitiFact owned by the Pointer Institute, is now fact-checking the people that are posting videos and causing Twitter to put posts underneath them to say, this person may not have been at the hospital during the time period they say that they went to the hospital. What the hell? Sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. America Emboldened. Greg, I feel emboldened. You don't know the founding fathers. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, Bold Americans, to another episode. So glad that you're here. Yesterday, we had a wonderful conversation with Brandon Wexler. That episode's blowing up right now with people calling for the boycotting of Wells Fargo. So thank you, listeners, for trying to get that episode out there. Continue to share it. Brandon's message is important for the liberty of all of us. If they can cancel his bank account without notice, they can cancel any of our bank accounts without notice. Or perhaps you go to exercise your Second Amendment to purchase a weapon and your bank says, you know what, we're not going to allow that purchase. This needs to be spread far and wide. All right, let's get straight into today's show and the topic that I was talking about at the top of the show. First and foremost, what has happened to medical privacy? At what point is it okay for a journalist to call up a personal doctor and ask for information about a patient, to call up a hospital and request records on whether or not a patient had been in the hospital at that time? Never, never, ever, ever is that okay. You can contact the family, I guess, if you'd like to, although isn't this the same uh, group of individuals, the liberal media that says everybody's to believe that every truth is their truth and therefore we shouldn't question it, but that's not what's happening here. See, I woke up the other day and I found that in my Twitter mailbox, as far as my notifications go, that people were attacking the fact that I've been interviewing vaccine-injured individuals. They were telling me that uh, basically I was spreading misinformation, I was spreading lies, that all of these people that have been vaccine-injured are lying. Shame on you, you spineless skeleton, you nitwit. There are people that have been injured by this. Now, this apparently is sparked because there is an individual, her name is Angelia Gibson DeSell. She lives in Louisiana. She put up a video of her shaking violently inside a hospital. And this was in Louisiana. Well, PolitiFact decided that they wanted to confirm the story. So they reached out to uh, Angelia, as well as to Brant Griner, her son. Dizelle didn't respond, but her son spoke to the reporters for about 30 minutes on January 15th. And he said that his mom was eager to get the vaccine because she works at a medical clinic. 
and he said that she got it on Tuesday, January 5th in New Orleans. And on Friday is when she started having seizure-like sensations in her left leg. Now, this is all according to PolitiFact. What type of organization are you? All right, do you really need to fact check somebody being in the hospital? Is that where we are in society right now? That it's okay that when somebody says, I have an upset stomach, are we going to have employers calling doctors now and requesting, can you prove that your stomach was upset on that day? I'm sorry, I have diarrhea. Can you send me a photo of your toilet to prove this? This is where we are, America. We're okay with journalists, we're okay with PolitiFact, the Pointer Institute, having their people go and call and ask these personal questions. Do not consent. Samantha Putterman, you are the person who put up this truth-o-meter on Angelia Gibson DeSalle. Now, I don't know whether or not Angelia was telling the truth or not, and you know what? I don't care. I've talked to a number of people who have been vaccine injured. They have medical diagnosis from doctors. They've been in hospitals. I understand the shaking. You can make fun of me all you want. You can also ask my wife. There's also, I'm sure, actually, I'm not sure if my wife did take video of when I was shaking. And maybe I'm glad that she didn't because I'd be villainized as well. But you could see where I lost control of my muscles eight hours after I got the vaccine and had seizure-like type of shaking and convulsions. Uh, you can check with VAERS, uh, but you shouldn't have to check with any of that stuff. You know why? Because you should be able to take my word for it. I have no reason to lie about what happened to me and neither do any of these individuals that have spoken up about it. For people to say that th these individuals are anti-vax, screw you. You know what? We're not anti-vax. If we were anti-vax, these individuals would have never have gotten the shot to begin with. The fact that we all went and we lined up and we got our shots was because we believed and we trusted the science. We believed in the reports that we were being told. We wanted to continue to go to work and not endanger other people. I, as a high school teacher, wanted to be able to go to work and not have to worry about passing it on to one of my students who could be immunocompromised or one of my coworkers that could be immunocompromised because maybe I had a coworker that was dealing with cancer and was doing treatments just months before the pandemic. So I was taking the consideration, all the people around me, and I had a reaction. It's in VAERS. They've called me several times to follow up. They haven't called me recently, obviously, but they did. They asked for permission to get medical files. I gave permission, but I would not give permission to anyone. And this didn't happen to me, but I would not give permission to anyone from a journalism side to try to fact check my story. All right. So Samantha Putterman, Paul Specht, PolitiFact, the Pointer Institute, and all you nitwits on Twitter that are gaslighting these poor people, there is a very, very warm place that I've heard about in church just for you guys. Because this is one of the most immoral things you can do to somebody when they're at their lowest of low in a hospital getting some type of healthcare treatment to then say, we're going to start fact-checking you as well. We want to make sure that this actually happened to you. I am irate, as you can probably hear it in my voice today, that I'm bothered, I'm hot and bothered over this. The fact that this is where we are with medical privacy. We now find that it's okay to criticize other people with their post. If you are so threatened by the fact that there are people that are posting their injuries from a vaccine or their 
uh, medical mysteries since getting the vaccine, maybe you have the problem. Maybe you have the cognitive dissonance that you don't understand what's going on around you. You are the problem. Because if, if it's a problem to ask right now, if people are dying suddenly, simply ask the question. This was something that I, I asked the other day. Somebody had pointed out about how uh, pilots, uh, there was a problem with the FAA. They've increased the testing for the cardiac. And I'm trying to speak with somebody here in the next couple of days. I have somebody lined up that's knowledgeable on this topic. But they were just simply asking the question, can we get the study? And somebody says, you're spreading dangerous misinformation. No, we're asking questions. Questions are an important part of discourse here in America. It's an important part to advance science. If we're just going to completely say, hey, you know what? No one's dying suddenly. This is just, you know, a hoax, whatever. If you're not willing to just even imagine for a moment that there are vaccine injured people, that there are people that are dying suddenly, if you're not willing to imagine that, then how can you expect science to work for you? Explain that. If you believe that the world is flat, and as a result of believing that the world is flat, you never want to set sail, that's fine. But thank God there were people that said, we believe that the world may be round. We believe we may be able to get to new lands. We believe even if it is flat, we'll hit that new land out into the ocean to another spot. And as a result, we grew in our understanding of the world. Thank God we continue to look up at the sky in order to learn things and ask questions about our place in the world. Thank God we continue to learn about all of those things as well. I don't understand why people are all of a sudden afraid to be wrong. Why are you afraid to be wrong? Is it that perhaps all along you now feel threatened that maybe you did something wrong? Because I don't. I'm okay with being wrong every single day. You know, I come on to here, I do the show, I give as best of a, a opinion on things as I can. I try to research them to the best, but you know what I really do well that other people can learn from? I'm not talking about my listeners. I'm talking about the unintelligent people that are making these type of posts. They could learn from having some compassion for their fellow human beings. That's what they could learn from. I don't understand why we don't have compassion. It makes absolutely no sense to me. Now, also, let's go to this uh, whole idea that we are fact-checking now. That's right. We are fact-checking whether or not people are vaccine injured. <laughs> when I found out this was PolitiFact, I think that upset me just as much to see the fact that now Twitter is having this. So Elon Musk, what are you doing? I thought that the free flow of information was going to be something that you were celebrating. I thought that we were going to be able to ask questions. I thought that your pronouns were prosecute Fauci. Uh, but apparently, uh, you're no different at this point than the previous owners. When you take somebody's personal health and you start labeling and calling them a liar, I hope they sue your platform and the Pointer Institute for all they're worth, and I hope that they have a case. I hope that they can prove that something in their health changed. I really do. And for those people that I've interviewed on this show, I apologize. I apologize for the absolute horror of inhumanity of these jackasses that are doing this to minimize what you've been through. To... Uh, the director of Anecdotals, you know, who was vaccine injured, Jen Sharp, you went out and you did some amazing work in interviewing people all over the country, 
telling their stories. But apparently now, that is vaccine misinformation. The interviews that you did are now apparently uh, starting to uh, upset people. Here's some of the tweets that I got just recently. Uh, You people should be ashamed of yourself for the lies and misinformation you spread. The number of deaths your message would have caused is unthinkable. Now, listen up, Stephen. The amount of damage that I've done and caused, what death and damage am I responsible for? Is it for the fact that I'm telling people stories and allowing people to be heard? You know, you got the Ukrainian flag next to your name. You stand with Ukraine. Isn't isn't the whole point of humanity to stand together as one species here on earth to look after our brothers and sisters? Don't you agree with that? I mean, you support the world's people, it looks like. Why don't you support your brothers and sisters that have been injured by vaccines? And how does that in any way, shape, or form stop you from going to get your next booster? You know what? Go get the next five boosters, Stephen. Go enjoy those boosters. Each time you get it, let me know when you get it. I will buy you some McDonald's so you can get a nice, nutritious meal after your booster as well. That should work out really well for you. Continuing on, all right? There's people now that are equating the vaccine conversation to MAGA, calling this these people idiots, stating that Trump, they just sell hats to morons, and apparently all these vaccine people must be wearing the same type of hat. Uh, it's almost tiring how absolutely brainless zombies there are out there at the present moment. And you know what's really funny about this? The funny part is the fact they're all putting Ukrainian flags after their names and putting the little needle outside their names too on my wall. I'm kind of enjoying that actually. It just kind of shows that, you know, that's exactly what it is. Somebody called me the dumbest. See you next Tuesday in every room. That's great too. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me, especially words typed out on Twitter. Uh, that's not going to hurt me, but it will give me great, good content throughout the day. Not going to lie. So thanks for the content there. See, you're sparking an episode here, but you're sparking an episode based off of facts. When we look at anecdotal, these are people that decided to speak up. These are people that decided to say, you know what, doctors are trying to figure out what exactly is going on with my body. When I've spoken with doctors, they've even said, yeah, we know that there's problems with some people and the vaccine. This isn't the conversation about myocarditis. This is the conversation about people having real, absolute, (laughs) horrendous in some cases, reactions immediately after. If you do me a favor, if you listen to this show, Put in a little hashtag, died suddenly, and you will see tens of thousands of cases of people talking about young people that died shortly after receiving their vaccine. Are we going to start fact-checking every single one of these? I can't wait. MSNBC, CNN, they're probably salivating. Oh, God, we got to get our new news team. This is going to be the the COVID misinformation uh, fact-checking team to go in for the visor team, visor, uh, visor lied, people died team. We can't wait, CNN. Let's, let's go. Team America. Yeah. You know, <laughs> these people are sick. They're really sick because when you type in died suddenly you find over and over again, young people are dying at a large rate. Now, 
I'm not saying that that's not because that people that have young have always died. And now we have social media and other things in order to fill in the void. And so we're starting to see the information even more. I'm not stating that, but I am saying we should be asking the question because there is so much information. When everybody keeps saying, well, my kid got the visor shot and bam, this happened. That's a problem, right? That That's a major problem. When I'm seeing other videos where people are carrying their baby and then just absolutely dropping and then their children are waking up as their mother suddenly died on the baby camera. That's upsetting. When I'm looking and seeing that there are people that are 38 years old that are dying and their spouses are putting there that here's how many kids they had. They died from a heart attack. That's upsetting. How can you turn a blind eye and call all of this a conspiracy or misinformation, right? You know, I saw a meme. These are vaccidental deaths, right? That's what it seems to be. Now that's just, you know, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to me. But to the spineless skeletons, to the nitwits that are harassing people right now over the fact that they were injured, there will just be a special place for you. That's all I know. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I've addressed it on my show, making people know you're not crazy for having uh, this thought about what you believe is happening around you. It's the other people around that have gone psychotic and they don't want you to acknowledge it. They don't want you to discover what you know to be true, because if you do, then that means that they were wrong and they cannot handle it. And if they can't handle it, well, that just shakes everything down for them. That's a horrible thing. They, they just, that's not something they can possibly, possibly deal with. All right. So moving over to things that don't have me as much fired up. If you listened to my show during the WEF last week, you also heard me talk about the fact that the WEF is wanting to move to a four-day work week and encourage other businesses to do so. So I put out a poll onto my Twitter page because I was curious if there was support for this. And I kind of had an idea of where the support was going to go before I posted it. But I just wanted to kind of figure out if my pulse was on the right spot. And so my first question now, the two questions was, would you support a four-day work week that requires the same amount of work completion expected in a week, but in one less working day. Unsure was 5% of the vote. No was 14% of the vote. And yes was 81% of the vote. Now that is still open for people to vote on. Then looking at the comments, it was about what I expected. The first person is rightfully so. He says, it's up to your employer about what your work week is, not the government. By no means am I stating that I believe that the WEF or the government should be able to dictate what the work week looks like. That's not what I'm stating whatsoever. What I am saying is this. With technology, it has become less necessary for many industries that continue the work of five-day work week. Hell, I'd probably say it's less likely that the 40-hour work week is even necessary to get the amount of work and productivity that needs to be done, done for each of these businesses. That is the reality of where we are in 2023. I didn't create that reality. It's been the advancements of technology, the advancements of science and everything else over the last 115 years since some of the labor laws were start to be set in place. So yes, businesses will get to make this choice. And then citizens, you get to choose where you want to work. 
I just want to ask the question, would there be support for a four-day week? It makes sense to me. Have you ever sat there and been at work and said, there's got to be more to life than coming to work every single day? And I say this to you as probably one of the hardest working people that you may know. If you're not aware, I've talked about this plenty on my show. I teach every single day, Monday through Friday. I'm a high school teacher. I do an excellent job. I'm a highly effective teacher, which means it's the highest rating you can get. Um, revered in the building by the admin and fellow teachers. Uh, I've been nominated for teacher of the year multiple times by staff and students. All right, so I do a, a pretty damn good job. I, and I take pride in that. So that's the first part of my job. That job also takes up my evenings as I do grading. It takes up my weekends as I plan for what's coming up. I'm currently doing videos with uh, my students where we're working with some outside organizations. With those organizations, that requires extra hours to be put in. So I'm putting in somewhere between 50 to 60 hours a week just with my teaching job. On top of that, I produce a podcast for you all five days a week. In that podcast, I'm putting for every about 30 minutes that you hear, it's probably two hours worth of work, right? So if I do a, a 30 minute show, I've likely researched, I've edited, put everything together, spend another two hours. If it's something that goes an hour long, maybe it's an extra hour. So three hours of prep work and the recording to be put in. I share that with you because there's probably another 20 hours of my week to 15 hours that are going towards a podcast, meaning I'm already working close to 80 hours a week just on that, not to mention my other business of doing videography and photography for places. So before anyone says, you know, maybe I should work harder, I work extremely hard. So uh, I, I hear the criticism. I understand that people might be threatened by the fact that a four-day work week sounds like you're not doing a lot of work. I, I promise you, I do plenty of work and I have every right to ask this question. So many people were responding that they would be happy to work four 10-hour shifts or four 12-hour shifts to get that day off. Other people said that they already work four 10-hour shifts and then three days off, so it would be nothing new for them. Some said that when they worked a four-day work week, it was 10 hours a day instead of five eight-hour days, so you'd get the same amount of hours, and it was great. They also saved drive time and lunch time on that fifth day. Another person says, I work 40 hours by Thursday and work 10 hours on Friday and some on Saturday. Good for you. I mean, I, I appreciate some jobs are going to require, like myself, if I'm working multiple different things, it's going to require us to put in extra time. I understand that. Another person says they've done it before and it's preferred work as a single person. Uh, but with family, I need enough time to cook dinner, help with homework. So it wouldn't work to have like a 10 hour day. What I'm going to tell you is, why do we need the 40-hour work week? Let's go a step further from what I was asking during the show and ask, can we cut down to 32 hours? Can we cut down the 32 hours and just keep pay where it's at? Because right now, inflation, if we cut down the 32 hours, kept pay where it's at, then maybe that would adjust for inflation and where it's at at this point. And if people want to work more hours, they can make more money, go from there. It seems like there was overwhelming support. I understand that some people's jobs, it's not possible. All right. I understand that. But for the people that are saying, if you're agreeing to a full-time 32-hour work week instead of 40, you're automatically admitting that you're slacking all week before the extra day not working. Then when you prove it, the employers know for sure your work ethic sucks. You're an idiot. You're an absolute idiot, the person that put this. And I have no problem saying that. You know, it sounds like that you follow me on the show. I want you to rethink this. I really do. Please, please, please rethink your, your stance on this. I know for a fact that all over America, people go in every single day 
and they waste time at their job. It's built into the job. It's built into the point where you have water cooler conversations, correct? So if you're paying attention to this, that there's water cooler conversations, there's gossip that goes on at work environments and everything else, which by the way, in a teaching environment, that doesn't get a chance to happen because we're stuck in our classroom all day. We're happy if we get out to get a pee break. Um, But it doesn't mean people are slacking. It means people are being human at the workforce. I believe that one of the things that we're seeing right now is in the studies, the places that are moving to these four-day work weeks and even places that have reduced hours to 32 hours or 36 hours, they're seeing people are more productive. Why? Because in that, they know what their employer expects. There's less side conversation because the job's got to get done in a short amount of time. Schedules are tight. So, But it also allows for people to relax. People are so happy to have more free time with their families. And that's what people really are starting to agree with. All right. So hopefully my explanation, you kind of understand, or if I'm not understanding you, please write back. I'm sorry for calling you an idiot. I just, I I really don't understand why people want to work more hours. I don't. I understand that there's value that comes from work. I understand that that's part of the human experience. Like everybody has a right to work, but I don't understand why we are working ourselves to the bone stressing ourselves until we die. I don't understand why we work for a pension or work for retirement funds or a 401k. And then by the time we can enjoy it, we can barely get around. We're riddled with health issues. As somebody in their 40s, I believe that this entire model needs to be discussed and it needs to be something that we have an honest conversation with one another, a courageous conversation with one another about whether our expectations of the working world should remain the same as they've been for almost the last 100 years. All right, everybody, I need to take a quick break here, get over to our sponsors. By the way, americaoutloud.com, you can hear plenty of great content and host. There are hundreds of stories per week right on the webpage that you can read through, as well as you got America Out Loud Talk Radio, where you can listen to the shows live throughout the day, going over the podcast. Of course, my show's a podcast coming up on the page each day. Thank you so much for supporting it. If you want to support a little bit more, make sure that you're visiting the sponsors. You got some great products out there. I've told you I personally use the Genesis HOCL Fogger. You can pick one up. You go to www.genesisfogger.com backslash out loud, and they're going to give you a discount just for listening through my show. What an awesome thing. Right back, everybody. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. 
Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Welcome back, Bold American. Second half of the show. We're moving on in topics at this point in time. We're going to talk about what's going on down in Florida. This was sent in by one of my listeners. Uh, we've talked about book banning and how I'm against banning books, but I'm also for some common sense in what books are in our schools. Well, in Florida, you, you may be aware of the House bill that went through HB 1467 that was signed into law by Governor DeSantis last March. That uh, law established that teachers could not select books appropriate for their students. Instead, the law requires that each book made available to students through a school district library media center or included in a recommended or assigned school or grade level reading list must be selected by a school district employee who holds a valid educational media specialist certificate regardless of whether the book is purchased, donated, or otherwise made available to students. Now, there are some teachers that are pretty upset right now because they're being told that they have to uh, close down their book centers that they have in their classrooms. One teacher writes, My heart is broken for Florida students today as I'm forced to pack up my classroom library due to the new law that went into effect on December 31st. All Manatee teachers must remove all books that have not been vetted by the state or risk being charged with a third-degree felony and losing our license. This applies to both public government funded, uh, both public and government-funded charter schools. The vetting process for new books is cumbersome, she writes, so even accepting donated books from parents and community members will not be allowed. The process of finding the list of approved books is also incredibly difficult. Another person called the directive a travesty to education that interfered with efforts to connect with books and develop a love of lifelong learning. And finally, another person wrote that farewell, farewell classroom library will see you soon. I promise. Save our libraries. Trust teachers. Readers are leaders. The Sansas, Florida. As an educator, I've spent the last past 18 years of my life dedicated to providing students with quality literature they write, helping them connect with books and develop a love of lifelong learning. Receiving notice today that classroom libraries are to be dismantled as a travesty to education. 
the future of our children and our nation. Now, why are they being dismantled? See, way back when, when HB 1467 was released, it got named the Don't Say Gay Bill. However, nowhere in that bill are the words Don't Say Gay. That was an amazing, amazing public relations work by uh, the media and the left. The bill is actually called the Parental Rights and Education Act. All right. Now, what does that exactly do? And so this is the part that I think that we need to pay attention to. What the teachers are upset about is the fact that this bill wants to remove pornography or pornographic uh, material that could be deemed not age appropriate, things that sexualize children, especially at an age where they should not be sexualized in the school, to be removed. So what they're asking for. The law requires that all library books be selected be free of pornography and material that's prohibited under statute 847.012. Now that states, if you go to that statute in Florida, harmful materials, sale or distribution to minors or using minors in production, prohibited penalty. All right, that part two is a person's ignorance of a minor's age a minor's misrepresentation of his or her age, a bona fide belief of minor's age, or a minor's consent may not be raised as a defense in a prosecution for a violation of this section. All right, so somebody cannot say that, well, the person felt like they could handle it, that they were mature enough or old enough. They're a minor. And so I think most people would say, you know what? That probably makes sense for many people. Number two, the law requires suited to student needs and their ability to comprehend the material presented. I want to ask, because some of these classrooms are like kindergarten classrooms, first grade classrooms, second grade classrooms, all the way up to eighth grade classrooms. I'm, I'm seeing this conversation. So here's a question for my listening audience. At what age should we be having a conversation about sex? What is the developmental age where most children are ready to have that conversation? As a father of two children myself, I believe that that educational conversation is up to the parent, right? The parent kind of knows their child and where they are the best as far as where things should go. But I also believe that likely by the age of fifth grade, the kids are talking enough that it's appropriate to start having some of the education, maybe even at fourth grade. But I think we can all agree that books that some people are upset about that are teaching people about their sexual identity, teaching people about how to have different uh, sex. I mean, one book goes as far as to call it a blowjob. I believe that once you stop using the uh, anatomical words, once you stop using the scientific words for people to have education, it stops being sexual education and starts being pornography. Um, at what age should those be allowed into the classroom? If you put that into the regular library, what's the stop of a second grader from picking up material that a fifth grader can get? So there needs to be some things. So for the individuals that are upset that people want to look through to make sure that this law is followed, I got to ask you, what are you upset about? Isn't our first responsibility as an educator to take care of the children that we've been chartered to take care of, to educate? We're not supposed to corrupt children and put them into uh, ways where they're seeing pornography or we're confusing them with mixed messages. 
And so the fact that we have appropriate for grade level and age group materials, I support 100%. I support what this bill is doing. I think that the teachers that are upset, I get that you've been teaching for many, many years, but what is wrong with having an approved library of books for the age group and to make sure that it's vetted by the media specialist? Now, they state that it's very cumbersome what they need to go through. They said that, you know, the agenda uh, for how people will need to prove that books are able to get in, it's too much to ask. Uh, there is a 21-point list of procedures that need to be followed in order to have that go through. Okay, I understand maybe this is going to take some time, but how much time is the proper amount of time in order to protect children? Just, just asking for a friend. Uh, how much time is, is appropriate to make sure that pornography doesn't skip through into the classroom? And what is pornography? Is this book uh, banning? Or is this simply making sure that it's educational books? I mean, book banning would be where we just remove them from all libraries. If they're still available to people, it's not book ba uh, banning. It's simply in an educational setting where there's money that's put out, which by the way, in our public schools all over the country, and even in, in schools that get uh, governmental money, money that are not public schools, you have to make sure that there's no access to pornographic material through online resources. There's major grant money that comes through to make sure that there's internet in schools through that. They spend millions of dollars to make sure that that happens. All right. That is very, very important. Now, how does the Florida Department of Education define pornography? And so they stated that there is no statutory definition of pornography in the Florida statutes, but the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defined it as the depiction of erotic behavior as in pictures or writing intended to cause sexual excitement. Some of the books that they're calling to have banned shows drawings of sexual acts. Now, I don't know, but when you're in 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade, and you're seeing sexual acts and drawings... I would say that that is a depiction of erotic behavior and meets the definition of Merriam-Webster's dictionary. I, hopefully, you would agree. So materials prohibited underneath this section. An adult may not knowingly distribute to a minor on school property. Now, keep in mind, this is what these teachers are upset about. They're upset that they have to follow this. Adult cannot knowingly distribute any picture or visual representation of a person or a portion of a human body which depicts nudity or sexual conduct, sexual excitement, sexual battery, bestiality, or sadomasochistic abuse, and which is harmful to minors. They're upset that their books need to be vetted to make sure that that's not in it. Any book, pamphlet, magazine, or printed material that contains explicit and detailed verbal descriptions or narrative accounts of sexual excitement or sexual conduct and that is harmful to minors. They're upset that they don't want these books, pamphlets, or magazines in these classrooms. Let's continue on to what is prohibited. The phrase harmful to minors requires that any description or representation of nudity, sexual conduct, or sexual excitement meet three requirements in order to be found harmful to minors. Great. So they're going to further define for these teachers that think it's a travesty that they have to close their libraries until they're approved. Here's three things for what is harmful to minors. Tell me if you agree with this. The description or representation must predominantly appeal to a prurient, shameful, or morbid interest be patently offensive to the prevailing standard in the adult community as a whole with respect to what is suitable material for minors and 
taken as a whole, the materials without serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value for minors. Again, if it's sexual education, right, there is a value for it. And notice they put the word end to tie those two together. What are the penalties for these teachers? Should they be found guilty? It's a felony of the third degree, and it's punishable um, because they want to protect librarians and media specialists. It has to be clear that the book depicting nudity, sexual conduct, or sexual excitement does not meet the tenets of harmful to minors. So predominantly appeals to those three things that I just spoke about. Let's continue on. Now, these teachers that are upset teach different grade levels, right? So maybe, you know, a kindergarten versus third grade. Students are going to have different comprehension materials and skills. And the considerations for these books should be the comprehension material, the degree to which the material will be explained and supplemented in the classroom. That's right, a lesson plan. Oh, well, imagine that. You need an educational purpose for the material. The accurate portrayal of the state's broad racial, ethnic, socioeconomic, and cultural diversity without bias and indoctrination. Right, that sounds good because when we have bias and indoctrination, that's where racism comes from. Age and grade level of students, maturity of students, and it says this. At the end, if you're unsure, err on the side of caution. Not bad, not bad. It goes on to say that the Parental Bill of Rights states that a parent has the right to direct the education and care of his or her minor child. That's correct. The parenting responsibility in the United States falls on the parents. If you're sending your child to a public school, you have a right to know what's going on inside that public school. You have a right to, upon written request, school districts are required to provide parents access to any material or book in the school library specified in the request. I myself teach audio, radio, and video. I hand out a form each year of a few R-rated movies that my students are going to view as part of film studies that talk about the history and the development of film, the skills, different camera shots. But in there, I also state there will be no nudity. There is no sexually explicit content that will be shown. If a movie has that, I've watched the movie, I write down the times, and I make sure that the movie gets turned off before those scenes and resumes later on after those scenes are over. This is important that people do what they can to protect children. Yeah, sure. Children can find this stuff on cell phones. They can find this stuff wherever. But inside your school buildings, and knowing that a parent sending your kid there, that should not be a place of access. I don't think there's anybody that would uh, go against that. So seeing this entire article that came out about Florida teachers uh, risking felony prosecution, everybody just chill out. Really? Chill out. We're not looking at the banned books, right? We're simply looking to evaluate them and approve them in order to make sure that they are good for kids. Now, some of those books might be completely good. Like Goodnight Moon, right? Goodnight Moon's a classic. I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon. Does it need to be approved? Well, it sounds like it might need to be approved. It sounds like they're going to need to come through. What I would say is maybe shame on DeSantis in Florida for not putting a plan in place to make sure that this did not affect teachers at such a high rate come January 1st once the law's in action. They should have had a plan after March to start vetting these books over the last uh, eight, nine months in order to make sure that at the part, start of January 2023, everything would be okay. That doesn't sound like it happened, right? And so as a result, there is a risk now the teachers 
or librarians could result in criminal prosecution. I believe there we also have to err on the side of caution. Not every book that is in the room means that a librarian put it there, right? It's possible people can bring in books, leave books behind. Maybe they're going to know what this is, test it a little bit. The irony of all this is Literacy Week is showing up right now from January 23rd through January 27th in the state of Florida. And I believe that this is just another political type of marketing piece where people are using this week and weaponizing it and jacking this up beyond what it needs to be, right? I, I believe that we're seeing this here three weeks later about these uh, teachers. They're trying to make a political statement because they're still upset about the woke culture of what's going on. Now, this isn't book banning. I've talked about book banning before. I'm against book banning. But I wholeheartedly support having common sense measures like in Florida for making sure it's not pornographic and for making sure it's age appropriate and whatever we have to do in order to make sure that that conversation happens. I wholeheartedly believe in that. But there's many people that talk about how language is changing. And we do see, if you pay attention to definitions, things that are coming up in Merriam-Webster's, there are definitions changing all the time, right? But it didn't used to be that way. Definitions used to change very slowly as culture would change and words came to mean something different. But normally, a word would mean exactly what a word was stated to mean for decades. But all of a sudden now, definitions are changing at a record pace. They're moving forward and redefining words. Words like vaccine got redefined once mRNA came into play. Words like racism got redefined in 2020. And it's always in small little ways. They're very subtle in the way that we change definitions and do things. And sometimes it's really harmless. Sometimes these words that are being changed are just meant out of good intentions of further clarifying based upon where we are now. And so when we take the word racism, right? Before 2020, uh, racism's uh, point was prejudice, discrimination um, against a person or people on the basis of their membership of a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized. The definition after uh, June of 2020 was changed to prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's race is superior. Now, this changes the definition in a subtle way, right? Originally, we talked about ethnic groups. Originally, we talked about it can be one that is a minority or a marginalized group. Now, it is simply described racism as a race uh, discrimination, that one's own race is superior. Now, that little change in language, while it's subtle, it may not mean much to the first part of what you're thinking. It changes a ton. When did this start? Well, Back in 2003, I was teaching at a different school. I was teaching um, in a grade school, and then I went on and moved over to a college. And there was already uh, the idea that in the classroom, we should have different learning styles, different language. I'm notorious, okay? I'm notorious from uh, the time of working on film sets and stuff and going back and forth uh, just in life. I just have certain terminology that has kind of gotten stuck with me. When I'm in a room, I'm like, hey guys, what's up? But back in 2003, it was already known that instead of saying guys, 
we should use different words. So we can't say that we went woke just over the past 10 years, right? This isn't a woke thing. This is something that we have been talking about references of groups for a long time. It's just now it's, it's more being pushed in order to have. But when we start changing the definition of what some of these words mean, and it's not just simply looking at bias, well, maybe that's a problem. And so I look a lot of times uh, when I'm teaching, you know, about film, I'm like, all right, well, the director, you know, uh, he has a vision for the film. And I realize that in my classroom, if I look around, I may have women in the classroom, female students that are now going, oh, the director's only a he. And if I continue to say that over and over again, eventually maybe I'm reinforcing this concept that you got to be a male in order to have that. Or perhaps I build up my students enough that they understand that they can do anything if they work hard enough and they outwork other people. Because that's really how things are. You got to be talented, especially in the film industry, and you got to outwork everybody else. People reward hard work. All right. And, you know, we even see, you know, the word janitor gets replaced by custodian. Uh, people that are, you know, talk about like an insurance man is now the insurance agent. The mailman's supposed to be the mail carrier. The newsman's now just a journalist or a reporter. A policeman should be called a police officer. A waitress should be called a waiter. You know all these words. But then there's things that I just, I, I listen to and I'm like, really? Like alumni. Apparently alumni is a biased term. And back in 2003, they started telling us we should be saying graduates. I don't get that one. Like there are some terms of bias where I sit and I go, look, you are what you are. Like if you're a freshman, you're a freshman. I'm not calling you a first year student. Um, maybe there is bias there. You don't know a lot. Maybe by your senior year, you've been around the school, but yeah, you're still a fresh person. All right. But yeah, fresh man, I guess, because the word man's in it. That was a word back in 2003 they were trying to get. And so what I'm just trying to show is over the last 20 years, we've had a movement on language. This movement has been has been something that started off with just uh, different places. I think the, what was it? The uh, service growth consultants were one of the leaders of changing a lot of the phrases. But let me get to... Uh, some of the ones that I, I think are pretty fun. Uh, all men are created equal. They said that you're not supposed to say that anymore. It's we are all created equal. Geniuses. Do you know where all men are created equal comes from? Seriously, all men are created equal. I can't change the language of all men are created equal to we are all created equal. Why? Anybody know? I'll wait. Wait for you guys to be able to uh, answer this question. What is it from? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That's right. The Declaration of Independence. But apparently, if you're teaching that, it's supposed to be we are all created equal. <laughs> Look, I believe that the language should stay where it is back then. Why? Because we can learn from where we were. It's part of our history. If we simply just start rephrasing things, then that does not change the history. That that's a real that's a real problem. All right. I I would say that we go too far with language at times. I really do. Um, I have my own personal beliefs on some of this stuff. Uh, I don't get too far into the weeds when I'm doing my show, uh, but happy to to discuss that further with you guys a little bit later. Maybe I'll do an episode on it. I don't know. But I think that we do go too far at times. 
But my point just being is, can we look at the common sense measures? Look at what's happened in Florida with this bill. Look at the fact we want to make sure that we check the books. Look at the fact that we have language over the past 20 years where we're trying to be more inclusive, right? Trying to make sure that a woman growing up now is treated in a way with language that we would treat everybody, uh, trying to remove uh, inherent bias. I think that that's not a bad thing. You know, it's not necessarily being woke. At some points, that's just learning that, hey, there was a time period where women were not able to vote. Women can vote now, right? So there's something that's uh, not bad about trying to remove implicit bias of language. But I do believe it goes too far when it changes history. If what you're looking at is changing the actual meaning of history, that's a problem. Or if changing a definition in such a little way, we all of a sudden say that you can, it's ethnicity versus race. And we kind of change that definition. What does that, what does that naturally mean? You know, is that a spot for it? Um, I think this is really important. Florida's gotten a lot of slack for this sent their way. The census has. And some of it, I don't th believe it's warranted. I believe it's just a poor marketing job of trying to fight back against a multi-million dollar marketing job fighting. And that just goes back to the beginning of the show. It goes back to when you label something a certain way, when you start saying that this is the way it is, right? That these vaccine injured people are liars. And then you start fact-checking them. There is a intellectual dishonesty in that conversation, when you start changing words so that way they can match a different agenda, intellectual dishonesty. When you start saying, I got to close down my entire library, intellectual dishonesty. No, you need to make sure that your library is age appropriate, not to show pornography. If that bothers you, perhaps you shouldn't be a teacher. Hope I honored your time well today, everybody. It's been a fun show, covered a lot all over the gamut. I'll be back tomorrow with another episode. Everyone, Go over to AmericaEmboldened.com. If you'd like to support the show, go to the bottom. You can buy me a simple cup of coffee. It's that easy. Just click on buy me a coffee. I'd appreciate it. Help support the show. Help support me, my family, and continue to bring you great programming. And make sure also you go on to AmericaOutloud.com and support all the sponsors of the show. That helps keep the lights running on America Out Loud and continue to bring all the phenomenal content from all of our various hosts. And we appreciate that. I'll be back tomorrow with another episode. You can continue the conversation on Twitter at Real Greg Bolden. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. Be bold, America. Uh -huh.